Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we finish up in Romans chapter 8 on our series on the Holy Spirit with the Apostle Paul's beautiful declaration of the perseverance and the permanence of the love of God. Let's worship together as we discover the ministry of the Holy Spirit to stand in the gap for believers as our intercessor, revealing how not only has God called us, but he has done everything we need to bring us to glory. Thanks for listening. Have you ever felt alone? Those, those moments where even those that you thought you could count on aren't there? Maybe it was uh, an argument that, that led you to that. Maybe it was a disagreement. Uh, or maybe it was just circumstances of life really left you feeling uh, helpless. Maybe a little hopeless. Maybe a little bit wondering if God was even still there. I had a moment like this when I was in college. The Lord brought me to my knees to really wrestle from me anything else that I would place above Him in my life. You know, God uses trials. Did you know that? That God uses hardships because they test our faith to produce within us ever more growing faith and a perseverance that leads us to become mature and to become whole. And to help us when we face more hardship. Because what are we promised in this world, right? Do you remember? Even a year ago, I think we were talking about this. That uh, in this world, you will have trouble, trouble. Not the, not the board game, right? Uh, but the kind that will drive you to your knees. Thankfully, God saw in his wisdom the purpose to do that in my life early in college. Because the following year, I decided I was going to be a missionary. I said, I'm going to be sold out. I'm going to serve God wherever he might send me. Um, thankfully, he sent me to the Caribbean, right? That's not all that terrible. Um, but on my first trip down there, eager to serve God, zealous to uh, give my life for the cause of the gospel, uh, the plane was landing in the capital city of the Bahamas called Nassau. And as my plane was coming in, the plane that I needed to be on was taking off, which left me stranded in a foreign country. By myself, without any phone numbers to call. Uh, I, I remember that moment pretty vividly, uh, thinking, I have no idea what to do now. In fact, even the phones are on a different, um, like, a, a out, what, what's it called, long distance number, right? I, I didn't even know how to call home. I didn't even know how to call, I didn't know how to call anybody. So, you know what I did? I sat down in the airport. My plan was going to be uh, to wait until tomorrow. That was going to be my plan. Uh, but as the uh, final planes of the day began to make their uh, journey off, I suddenly discovered you know, the crowd started to thin and the sun started to set. And I was all alone and started to get a little nervous. Uh, you know what I did then? I had, my, I had my guitar with me, so I got out my guitar. And there in the airport, I just started to play little praise songs just to comfort myself, uh, realizing that even when I feel alone, I'm not alone. And then suddenly this man came up to me and said, Are you Ryan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have no idea who this person is. He said that he had received a phone call 
from the mission, from a family member who had just started serving with the agency that I was going to be part of because they realized they were expecting to pick up this intern at the airport and guess who didn't get off the plane? So he might be stranded in NASA. He said, uh, somebody is going to come to pick you up. Okay, uh, there's a plan, right? I didn't know what was going to happen. I felt completely alone. And yet there behind the scenes, God was working. Little did I know that what was going to happen in the course of my journey to stay overnight was be an imprint upon my heart for the people of the Bahamas. That had I not gone through that, I would have not seen what it looked like to really get to meet them in their homes. Uh, the missionary who just started working uh, with the organization I part, was part of, was, his name was Patrick. And Patrick uh, called his brother Peter over in Nassau. And Peter drove up with his whole family, which was a bit of a sacrifice because Peter, I didn't know this, had just come to know the Lord. And so it was an act of faith for him to go pick up this uh, white gringo at the missionary uh, at the airport and take him uh, to his mother's house. So I got to stay and meet his mother. And um, it really did a work in my heart to just imprint a love for the people of the Bahamas. Not only that, uh, but Patrick was the one who suggested that I marry Emily. So, you know, my life could have been a lot different had I made that flight. But because I didn't, the circumstances that from my perspective looked like they were bad, looked like it was, looked like I was alone. Not a single second was I ever alone. Not a single second did God ever give up on his purpose and his plan. He knew exactly what was going to happen. What if when Peter showed up, as Patrick's brother, what if when he showed up, I had said, nah, I don't need any help? Well, what, what if I had resisted the help that was being offered? You know, this isn't any different. To illustrate what we face in the Christian life. That we tend to walk through this world thinking many times that I got this. I can handle this. Whatever I'm facing, I can think through the situation and make sure I have the answers. When all the time, the Holy Spirit is right there. The Holy Spirit has not left you alone. Even in those darkest moments, God is there with you. Extending a hand, uh, pulling up in the car, so to speak, to say, I'm here to help. The question is, what's our response to that? Are we listening? Are we yielding? Are we yearning for the help of the Holy Spirit to be that counselor, that teacher, to guide us into Christ-likeness? Or might we incorrectly raise a hand and say, nah, I got this. We've been in a study uh, through uh, the book of Romans, chapter 8. If you brought your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. Uh, this morning's message is one that I've entitled, The Aid of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to wrap up the chapter this morning. Uh, as we have seen last week, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, told us that the, the Spirit of God comes into us, uh, not such that we would become, again, slaves to fear, Right? Stranded, as it were. Feeling alone, as it were. That's not the spirit he gives you. Not to fear. Not to fear anything that you face. Not to fear death that's imminent. Rather, he's given you the spirit of sonship. If you and I would learn to cry out by the Holy Spirit to our Heavenly Father, Abba, which means Daddy. And in this, you and I will understand that we are not alone. 
What we're going to do is we're going to look through Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26, and work our way to the end of the chapter. Uh, In briefly reading through it, we're going to find that there are four major sections, and we're just going to unpack those and finally end with some application. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, if you have your Bibles, please follow along. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Sometimes I just love reading the Apostle Paul. I don't know if your heart begins to resonate with the truth that he gives, but when he starts to walk down the gospel road, you know what he starts doing? He starts skipping down that road. And then he starts running down that road. And he ends with the beautiful doxology to recognize the love of God far surpasses anything that we would face in this world. It was four sections I want you to see as we kind of try to unpack this. The first I'm calling is the help of God. Uh, You'll recognize in verse 26 and 27, starting out, look at the very beginning. He says, in the same way, the Spirit does what? There it is. The Spirit helps us. Specific to, what's it say? Our weaknesses. Anybody here weak? Every hand goes up. Yeah. So guess what? I got good news. There's help. You're not alone. There's one who has been given to you to help bring you through whatever area of your life where you are still weak. Sometimes that manifests itself in fears. Uh, But more often than not, it shows the reality of how we are not yet redeemed. I need help. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. 
I want you to see the next part here. We don't know what we ought to pray for. Any amens on that? Anyone ever been there before? Sometimes, boy, I just don't know. That's okay. That is, that is just fine. Because look what happens. For the Spirit himself intercedes for us. It's a beautiful word, intercedes. Did you see it shows up twice? It shows up also in verse 27 at the end because the Spirit intercedes. It shows up also over in verse 34 that Jesus intercedes. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But uh, it's an interesting word, intercede. It means uh, to really plead on behalf of somebody. Uh, that, that you really you stand in the middle before the one who's asking the questions and the one who needs to answer. There is one who comes in the middle, a mediator. One who will speak for you. Uh, just this last week, we went to Subway after enjoying some beautiful weather. It didn't happen to be raining that day. And uh, we were out in the woods. And uh, you need to know something about my wife. Um, I don't see her here, so I think I can tell you the story. Uh, she hates with, like, a phobia fear, wood ticks. Anybody else? Like, like irrationally afraid of wood. Have you ever seen how fast a wood tick moves? I mean, there's time. You're, you're going to be fine. Um, but here she is standing in the line, and we got our kids with us. So um, I, got, I got the two of them over in the booth. And Emily, she's standing up at the counter at Subway, and she's putting in the order until she discovers that crawling up her leg is a wood tick. And I'm watching her, and she starts doing this. She starts saying, and she's got, she's got it pinched right here, you know, so it can't get any further. And she's trying to mouth to me, wood tick, wood but she doesn't want to make a very big scene, right? Now, this is not very sanctified of me, but I knew what was going on. So I let it play out a little. You know, it's just not a lot, not a lot, just a little. Because uh, she had it. It was all right. She had it. So I finally, I, I get up and uh, I go over to her and she's beat red at this point. And um, so she, she goes out of the line and uh, goes and takes care of it in the bathroom. And I intercede for her. Do you see I had a point behind that story? I, I know what she likes to eat. I do. I know that. And so I stood there at the counter and in her place, I answered for her. That's, what in, that's a picture of intercession. Sometimes you might not even know what you need, right? Sometimes you might not even know what to pray for, but guess what? The Holy Spirit knows and the Holy Spirit will stand in the gap for you and I and will help you and I and will speak to God on our behalf. I'm not making it up. This is what the Bible says. Look what it says. The, verse 26, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express because he knows your heart. He knows what you're going through. He, he can even understand better than you can. Uh, my my three year old Sadie is uh, she's working on her speech and some words she doesn't get quite right. And uh, Emily and I we know what she says, but if she if she were to talk around you, you might not be able to understand her. But we know, we we know what she's uh, she's saying, even though her words aren't completely developed. How is it that we know? Because we are her family and we live with her, so we know. The Holy Spirit lives in you, church. He dwells within you. And sometimes when you don't quite know what to say, when uh, it's hard to understand, you can have peace to understand that God knows. I've had moments in my life where I have come and I've knelt 
before the foot of the cross, and I just don't know what to say. And then I remember this verse. I remember that that's okay. That the Spirit is not depending on me to get the words right, that it all rests on my shoulders, but that God would love us so much that He would even come to take care of us and how we would pray. He is our helper. He is our helper. The last thing I want you to see uh, is at the very end of verse 27. uh, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. But this last part's really important, right? How does he intercede? In accordance with God's will. I'd, I'd be doing you a disservice if I were to say that the Spirit has what you have in mind. Uh Uh-uh. Sometimes we got the wrong thing in mind. So when the Spirit is interceding for us, He's going to do so not upon your will. Oh, Lord, I really want this trial to end. It's been going on for so long. I've, I've had enough. Well, maybe it's God's will that it goes a little further, that it lasts a little bit longer, because God has a purpose behind the pain. He has a purpose behind the trial. So the Spirit's there. But don't think the Spirit's going to just uh, get out of jail free card. Sometimes you got to wait. Sometimes you need to be still. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. All right, the second thing I want you to see this section is what I'm calling the hope of God. So here's the hope in verse 28 through 30. He says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Have you heard that passage before? And in all things, God works for the good. Now, I learned this in the King James when I was a child. There was a little song. It's, it had a little jingle. It said, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. You, you might not have heard it that way, but this is how I learned the verse. Can you say this with me? Can we say it together? Ready? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. One more time. All things work together for good. To those who love the Lord. There are some observations we need to make through this passage. The first is this. That it's not uh, we feel like things work together for good. What did it say? We know that all things. Look with me in the Bible. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. It does not say feel. You recognize that difference in your life? When you are not sure if it's going to work out, and if God's got this plan together, the the most recent event in my life is just the loss of my father. And how could that ever be seen as something that fits into God's plan? It doesn't feel like it. I don't like it. This is not how life's supposed to go. But I know that God works all things together for good. You see how sometimes your your instruction, that, that the word of God that lives in your mind needs to inform your heart? So I want you to make sure that we recognize that, number one, that it's, it's not that it feels like all things work together, but we know that all things work together. And the next thing I want you to recognize is the word all. We know that in all things, that's not just the, uh, the easy things or the good things or when life's going grand or when blessings of God are raining down. It's in all things. You, you might be able to this morning put down on a list things that you are facing right now that you wish you weren't. 
Guess what? God's using that. You might be able to record a, a, a whole litany of items that you want to be done with in your life. I just want to be rid of these things. Guess what? God's going to use those. Because God's word is true. We know that in all things, God works for the good. So look with me now at this word. He works for the good. And this word good is defined by him and not us. What we think of as good, more often than not, follows the pattern of this world. Rather than the plan and the purpose of his will. I'll say that again. What we think of as good, most often in our lives, follows after what we look as the pattern of this world. And not the good that's followed after God's will and his purpose. I want you to see where this shows up. Uh, Verse Uh, I mean, just follow down in verse 28, right? For the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So it's not your purpose, right? The good here is defined by God. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Here's the answer. It's worth underlining. To be what? Conformed to the likeness of his son. Did you see it? That's what is good for us. So what's it going to take? What is it going to take in your life to look more like Christ? How many people think a little more money in the savings account is what it's going to take? Probably not. In fact, I would imagine that if you face in this life hardship and persecution, I know another uh, man of Nazareth who faced hardship and persecution. Guess what? He gave you a helper today. He gives you a helper to help you go through those times because you know what god's going to use them to what to be conformed to the likeness of his son i want to i want you to travel with me over to the book of philippians uh, philippians chapter three uh, a few books further in your new testament go to philippians chapter three starting in verse seven paul as he reaches the middle of this letter to a church that loves him uh, while he's in prison And while Paul is suffering, he's going to say some words that we need to pay close attention to this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Helen, you have a page for me? 1829 in our pew Bibles. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 7. Look at this. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, what what would you put in there? What what do you have to your profit in this world? Family? Family? Who, who here would put family at the top of that list, right? How about health? Health is, I mean, number one and number two generally, right? Um, and then after that, we start to probably list, well, our, our wonderful church family, right? Uh, but all the material possessions that we have. Uh, the things that make life easier for us. Look what Paul says. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more... I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, what's your Bible say? Rubbish. Uh, uh, This is, I I don't have time to preach on this too much, but there's a very interesting word in Greek. It it means uh, the, the kind of stuff you shovel into the manure pile, all right? That's the word that's used here, right? It's rubbish. 
That's what he says he considers everything that he had. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. God's good for you is that you and I would be conformed to the likeness of his son, the Apostle Paul. How many people would put the Apostle Paul pretty high up on the Christian maturity list? He says, I used to value all this stuff, but now I consider it a loss that I may know Christ and become like him. There was a time in his life where he probably wouldn't have called that very good. But he's allowed the Holy Spirit to change that definition. So go back with me now to Romans 8. Because what it says is, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. This, this next section, uh, to finish up verse 30, literally books have been written on it. Uh, so we don't have time to unpack too much of this. Even uh, the Presbyterian faith is really grounded on what this teaches. And, and I very brief, brief, briefly just want to take you through it. Five things here are mentioned as the work of God. See if you can recognize them here, right? Um, verse 29, he foreknew. So you didn't foreknow, but God foreknew. Uh, He also, what's the word? He predestined, right? So this is something that God does. If you jump down a little bit further in verse 30, and those he predestined, he also what? Called. And those he called, he also what? Justified. And those he justified, he also? So what did you do in this? You, you, You know what I did? I tried to run away. And God chased me down. That's what I did. I tried to have him my way. And you know what? God came and convinced me otherwise. He does it all, church. He does it all. He foreknows, he predestines, he calls, he justifies. And the last one is the one that we put our hope in. He glorified. But you might think this morning, uh, Pastor Ryan, I might have missed the boat on that one. When did that happen? Because it's in the past tense. Did you notice that? That he also glorified? Here's why this is important. Uh, One commentator says this, So certain is it that God can glorify that it can be spoken of as already accomplished. It's in the plan of God, and that means it's as good as here. Since God has decreed it, it will happen. You will be glorified. There's another sense in which we are seen in Christ Uh, The technical term here is as our federal head, right? Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, right? Is Jesus glorified? Yeah. Yeah. And if you are in him, then you too are glorified. And yet we still wait for this. This is still something we have yet to see. The best illustration I can give you on this is of uh, this great little app on my phone. Um, Does anybody order stuff off Amazon? Anybody do that? There's this really cool little thing that when you order something... Uh, it will buzz and it will say, your package has been delivered. Wow. 
the world we live in, right? Um, now, I was up here at church, and I had a package that was delivered, uh, but did I have it? No, because I wasn't there yet. You understand? The, the, the package arrived. It, it has been delivered, past tense. Yet I have to make it there. That, that's the way I want you to think of glorification, right? It's as good as done. It's there sitting on the step waiting for you. But guess what? You and I, we need to still get home. We still need to get to the doorstep to see it. So uh, this is our hope, all right? That's our hope. Not only does God our help, he's also our hope. Uh, this next section here I'm calling the heed of God. To heed something means to give careful attention to, uh, to take regard for. Look with me in verse 31. What shall we say then in response to this? Is God for us? It, I'm sorry, if God is for us, who can be against us? Did you ever play kickball at recess and you had to pick teams? What if God was picking teams? He's picked you. There was this one kid at school that was like the most athletic. Everybody wanted to be on his team because guess what? If you were on his team, you were guaranteed to what? You're guaranteed to win. Well, guess what? God has chosen you. You're guaranteed to win. If God is for you, who could be against you? Look what it says next. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. Yeah, you might say, well, how do I know? Just maybe God's for I don't know, though. Are you kidding? He gave up his own son. He gave up that which would be most treasured to him for crummy old you and me. He didn't, he didn't save what was his. Instead, he took that which was most valuable. Who here would give up their child for something? Anybody? Uh-uh. But guess what? That's what God did for you and I. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge? Here's the next question. You see the rhetorical question. Who, who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? Um, I want you to uh, look back at verse 1 of chapter 8. Go all the way back to the beginning. So these are Paul's closing remarks, okay? As he wants you to know God's heed for you, God's desire to watch over you, look what he said in verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no... What? So, so what could anybody say? What charge could anyone bring against you? Flip back now to the end here. Verse 34. Who is he that condemns? There's nobody that can condemn. How do we know this? Because what he says next. Christ Jesus, who, three things here, ready? Number one, who died. Nobody can condemn you because Christ has died in your place. Now, I know you, Chris, you're, you, you're a hypocrite. You sin. You know what? I never said I was perfect. I will say this, though. My sins are no longer on my account. They have been paid because Jesus died. That's number one. Number two, look what he says after this. More than that, who was raised to life and is seated at the right hand of God. So this one who died for you has been raised and is now seated in power. This is a picture. Uh, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. At the right hand of God means that's God's go-to. That God has uh, honored Jesus to come and to sit in this position of privilege and power. And lastly, number three, is that he is also, what's the word? Interceding for us. He's standing in the gap. In Hebrews chapter 7, I just wrote this down briefly. I'd like you to hear it. You could turn there or write it down yourself. Hebrews 7 verse 25 
these words are spoken. Therefore he, this is Jesus, as a great high priest. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. What is, what is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding for you. Because you and I are still facing a world of sin. That ought to make us humble. Every evil thought that you have. Every moment where you want to elevate yourself. Put your neighbor down. Should rightly deserve God's wrath in your life. But guess what? Jesus is standing at the counter for you. Jesus is standing before God. For you and I. He is interceding right now for you and I. No matter what you do. By thought, word, and deed. You have an advocate both inside. That's the Holy Spirit interceding for you. Remember with groans that words can't express. And you have the second person of the Trinity. Standing before the Father. Seated at his right hand. Interceding for you. I wrote this down. uh, He will not forsake us. Jesus will not forsake us. All right, the last section here. Uh, We've seen the help and the hope, the heed. And lastly is the hold of God. He holds on to us. Uh, Sadie, my my three-year-old, when I am... I got this little indicator when I'm leaving the house. And uh, she's recognized that sound, right? So if I I put my keys on, she'll, she'll start to hear them. And she'll get up from whatever she's doing, and she'll run to the door and do this. <laughs> to try to keep me from leaving. Because she loves me. She wants to hold on to me. Right? That's what God is doing for you, church. Because you and I, we sometimes want to get in the car and leave. We want to go our own way. We want to do what we want to do. But you know what God does? He runs to stop you. And he holds on to you. Look what it says. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing, church. Not trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the reality of the world in which we live. And yet not any of it will separate you from God's love. He says in verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, I'm convinced that neither life, or death nor life, angels nor demons, present or future, powers, height, depth, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Oh, but, but pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm facing. I, I don't feel God's love. That's okay. His love remains because he holds on to you. Oh, but pastor, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't want to know. You don't want to know the things I've done, the things I've said, the things I've thought. Listen to me now. Unless your name is written in here that says, um, I'll pick on Tom for a minute, right? Uh, that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, except for Tom, <laughs> unless your name shows up in here, church, you and anything that you do cannot separate you from God's love. When he comes and takes up residence in your heart, he never leaves. And he never lets you walk out on him either. 
He holds you tight. The hold of God. Here's the conclusion. I want you to see kind of one big sentence again. Uh, His spirit will help us. That was the first section. And he will take care of us. That's the hope that we have. That's glorification. He will never forsake us, right? Because he's the only one that could rightly condemn us. But he's the one defending us, interceding for us. And he will never leave us. He will hold on to us. He will hold on to us. My challenge to you today is written there in your sermon notes, if you have the insert at the bottom. It asks this question, uh, where am I the weakest? Where am I the weakest? And I want you to try to answer that because that's where God's going to show his power. This is not an easy question to answer. And so what do you do when you feel alone? Uh, Well, you do what I did um, when I was alone in the Bahamas. I, I get out the guitar. I play a song, and uh, and we have a song up here on the screen, but I want to invite you, uh, just as as I sing through this, Isabella, she's going to come and help me with this. Spend some time praying right now. Spend some time asking God uh, where you might need help. And then uh, we'll all sing the last verse together. So just spend a little moment doing business with God. Talk to Him. Pray to Him if you need to. Listen and worship through the words of these songs.